Hello, everybody. Glad to have you with me. This is the Down South IT Podcast. My name is Clark. Glad to have you here. This is going to be an interesting one because with the advent of Windows 11, the new and all-powerful operating system from Microsoft, there's a lot about it that I have discussed before that I'm not very happy about. So I took it upon myself to try a little bit different of an approach. Could it be possible to daily drive something different other than macOS or Windows? So we're going to run through what I discovered over my last two weeks of daily driving Linux. And it does come with a few caveats and there is a learning curve. But I can tell you this much, the move was a lot easier than I expected. But before I jump into that, don't forget, check out the website, DownSouthITPodcast.com. You can check out just about anything and everything on, on there about the podcast, not just the podcast itself, but all the, the other stuff that I have on there. Also, the Defender newsletter, all of my build guides, just about anything having to do with the podcast is going to be there. So please check that out. You can even listen there, too, because there's an embedded player. And today would actually probably be a really good one to go hit up the show prep because I will have some screenshots of the flavor of Linux that I was using. That way you can kind of get a feel for it. And that way you'll kind of kind of know and see what it looks like and might be something you want to give it a try. You never know. We You have to determine that at the end of the podcast. But while you're there, browse around, do what you need to do. It is a good place to find all kinds of cool information and stuff to do. So hit that up if you don't mind. There's also links to a lot of the popular platforms that the podcast is on, the merch store, you name it, it's there, downsouthitpodcast.com. You can't go wrong, just head over there now. So as I've said before, I've had a love, love, hate, hate, love, hate relationship with Windows. And Windows 11 just has so much going on with it that I really don't know if I'm going to be able to upgrade to that. And this was kind of just a short test for me of whether or not could you actually move away from Windows to get to something else other than that and it actually be a viable daily driver, something you can use every day. Now, granted, I could go and just stay with Windows 10 at some point, which I may do. There's also Mac OS, you know, running on iMacs and different things along that line. I've dealt with that before also. You know, I don't have really a whole lot bad to say about it. It is what it is. I mean, it does what it does. I'm not a, I'm not used to it, but I could fairly get used, I could get used to it fairly quickly. So, I mean, but I wanted to get something completely out of the realm and go with something a little bit different. That's why I decided on Linux. Now, if you go into Linux, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of different distributions of Linux. Each have their own name, their own look, their own, you know, they work different. They're on their own platform of Linux. They use different flavors of the kernel. So it is, it's a little bit different depending on what distribution you decide to go with. Now, I do list a few on the show prep of some of the more popular ones. Like Ubuntu is probably one of the ones that everybody knows as far as Linux goes. But there's Mint, there's Pop OS, there's Zorin, there's Fedora Linux. It just kind of depends on 
what you like and what you're expecting to do with that operating system as to kind of what flavor you should go with. So you kind of have to know a little bit about it going in and do a little research to see what you're going to be doing. Now, the good thing with Pop! OS, Zorin, Mint, and Ubuntu, all of them are fairly familiar. So the layout of the system tray and how things work is going to be familiar to you if you're coming from Windows. There's a start button, so you know, quote unquote. There's a app tray. There's, you know, different things. There's a file system. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that you would normally do on a Windows machine that you can do on Linux, and it's not that big of a stretch. And the good thing, especially with Ubuntu and Mint, is I've worked a lot with Raspberry Pis. If you've seen any of my build guides and stuff like that, I build stuff with Raspberry Pis all the time. So in my case, that kind of made it a natural fit to use either Ubuntu or Mint because they're off the same distribution. So all of the commands would be fairly close. A lot of the layout, the file system, you know, a lot of that stuff would be fairly familiar to me because I've dealt with Raspberry Pis before in the past. So as far as like the good, the good stuff and then the bad stuff, I'll get into that a little bit later, but... I do have a link from TechRadar that shows some of the best Linux distros, and they go through some that are more beginner and then some that are more advanced. Uh, if you're really wanting something that's a lot closer to a Windows look and feel, you may want to go with Zorin, and that's simply because they have everything laid out a lot more like Windows, even with the start button, the system tray. A lot of the icons look very, very similar. So you, if you're kind of looking for that, that may be something more along the line of what you want to go with. Mint is not bad, at least as far as I was concerned, because a lot of that, it mixed a lot of the Windows side with the Raspberry Pi. Being that the look and the function was kind of a mix between Raspberry Pi and Windows, that's kind of why I decided on that one, simply because I was familiar with both. You know, your mileage may vary on that, but... For me, in this instance, Mint was probably, you know, a good middle ground. So we'll go into daily driving this thing. So when I talk daily driving, I mean using it every day, doing your normal thing that you would normally do every day, you know, checking emails, all of that kind of stuff. As far as aesthetics goes, Mint has a very clean look. It's not industrial, but it's a clean look. It's very functional. Everything has a purpose. You know, everything is very functional. It's very fast, which, I mean, granted, whenever you're talking about an operating system, if you have to sit there and wait for stuff to load, that is pretty much a killer in my book. Everything has to be fairly snappy for it to, to be viable and, you know, especially doing something every day. And that actually does that. And I'm not running it on the most crazy hardware either. I mean, it's a little PC with a mobile CPU, four gigs of RAM, it's nothing special. But it feels really good, it's fast, and I really don't have to worry about it very much. You click on stuff, it pops up. You search for something, usually before you're even finished typing, it's already starting to sort stuff out for you, so you can find it that much quicker. It's a very light OS on top of being, you know, very functional. So it can run on older hardware, it can run on not the best hardware, and you'll still be able to use it and it'll be really good on it. It's very light, doesn't use a whole lot of resources. So the little that you do have, if that's your case, 
you can use it to its max potential. I did have a couple of notes in here about on the show prep about the distribution. I already talked about it being, you know, the same as Ubuntu and Raspberry Pi. It, that's basically it's based on the Debian Linux distribution. So that already kind of spoke about that already. And another good thing about this, there's a lot of free apps when you go for Linux. The software manager and and the other platforms that you can use, there's a lot of different ways to get software on a Linux machine. You can use the command prompt, which they call terminal in here. You can use that and type in a couple of commands. It'll pull it and automatically install it for you if you want to do that. Luckily, Mint has a really nice software manager that has a great search function on it. So all you really have to do is type kind of what you want. Or you may have to kind of look up on either Google or Yahoo or whatever search engine you use to find a compatible app that you're looking to use. So something that there's a lot already baked into these already also. I mean, before you even get started, you already have an Office Suite, which is LibreOffice. You have Thunderbird email client, which is Mozilla's version of Outlook. And that's really easy to get set up and going. You already have... Mozilla Firefox already in there, so you don't have to do anything with that. There's a lot of stuff that's already embedded within that image for you know for that that Linux distribution that you really won't have to go out and get a whole lot to get yourself going, at least at the basic level. There are a few things that I'm going to talk about whenever I get into the bad side of things that I'll I'll talk to that a little bit more. But there is a few little tweaks here and there that are going to be interesting to say the least. Uh, whenever you're trying to keep things up to date, Mint has a very nice update manager, which lets you know in the corner in the system tray right there by the clock. And I actually have a picture of it in the, the show prep if you want to take a look at it. The icon is a little shield. And if you have an update, it has a red dot on it. You just click on it, click install updates, boom, you're done. And the good thing about these two is there's so many people looking at all the Linux code that if they find a problem, they usually publish a fix within a couple of days. So even if there is a problem, you're going to get the fix a lot faster than you will with Windows because there's so many more eyes on it. Everything is open source. So you're going to have a lot less problem with viruses. I mean, you still can get them. Granted, you can, but it's a lot less likely because most viruses, I think, I believe the last number that I saw was 78% were written for Windows machines, something like that. And I think they had a few, around 8 or 10% was for Mac. I'm sure those numbers have changed by now, but it's, it's around that much. So about three quarters of all viruses are written for, you know, Windows-based machines. So you can get updates within a couple of, couple of days. And on top of that, most of them can be installed without having to reboot. Everything is one click and that's it. It's very easy, especially with this one. So that's one very nice thing that I was very appreciative of was the ease of which you could update this thing. You don't have to go into the command prompt and type in anything. You can if you really want to. There, There is that option. So you do have the option if you know the commands and different things like that, which are not very difficult. But if you wanted to, you really could do that and, you know, get the updates and push the updates just like that. But them having the actual tool to do it automatically makes that thing a lot easier, especially if you're coming over from, say, Windows. 
Another good thing is if you're adding hardware, like if you want to add a USB hard drive or if you're trying to add Wi-Fi and plug in a little thumb drive Wi-Fi dongle or something like that, everything is plug and play. Most drivers will work on a core level with whatever hardware you plug into that computer. So for the most part, it's plug and play. There are very few things that you can plug into that thing that will not work right off the bat. Unless it's something fairly new that they don't have a driver in a repository for it already. You know, like some of the newer stuff, I actually I had this problem with mine was I bought a very new Wi-Fi dongle and it didn't pick it up at all. It didn't see it, didn't know it was there, tried to install a driver separately. That didn't even work. There was no drivers built for it yet in Linux. I happened to have an older one and plugged that one in, came up like a champ. So there's always the risk of something fairly new kind of not playing well with Linux. But if it's something that's six months or older, nine times out of 10, it's going to work. Next thing is Linux is free. You don't have to pay for Linux at all. It's free. You just download it, install it, put it on the computer. You're done. No license, no nothing like that. You know, unless you put actually, you know, Office on here or use an Office license through a web browser or something like that, then it is completely free. And most of the software out there for it in the software manager is going to be free. Now, granted, it might not be the exact name that of the software you're using, but they will have something that's usually compatible. So that's another good thing. I love that it's free. I didn't have to pay a thing for this. All I had to do was set it up. Now, my last note here is that it runs great even on older or slower hardware. And I kind of made this uh, comparison earlier, but, you know, being that the one that I have it running on is not the most balling out computer, you know, it's not my gaming rig or anything like that, which I'm going to get into the bad part with that in a minute. But the fact that you could run this on probably 10-year-old hardware is impressive. It really is. Seeing as how, I mean, it doesn't have to be anything special. You can run it on a laptop, on a desktop. It really does not matter. You know, these things are such lightweight and work well with even especially older, you know, older legacy systems. It's almost worth giving it a shot, even if it's just for a junk computer to let your kids watch YouTube videos on. You know, that way you don't throw away that old computer that you have sitting in a closet. Format the hard drive, install Linux, let turn them loose. That's all you really have to do. Anything basic you can do with this. You can play on on Firefox. Anything having to do with social media or on the web or anything like that, you can do it. If you want to type out a couple of reports and stuff like that, you can do it. The software is there. Best part is it's there and it's there out of the box. So now let's get into some of the bad. Now, just because there are a lot of apps on the app store and in their software manager is what they call it. Just because there's a lot there doesn't mean that they have everything. And that means that you might have to go to a certain website or, you know, somewhere else to download a program. So you have to actually with especially with this, there's so many different flavors of Linux If you do download a program like this to install it, you have to make sure that the one that you're downloading is compatible with your distribution. So if, you know, you can't use 
a file that's for Ubuntu that is for Fedora. So it they won't you actually I mean it's completely different files that you have to download and install. They use different install managers. So it's you have to make sure it's something for your distribution. And once you know what kind it is and what tagline you're looking for as far as the file extension, then you're you're usually pretty good on that. You know, it's in this case, in my, in Mint's case, because it uses the same one as Raspberry Pi and Linux, it's off the Debian distribution, so everything is going to be .deb. So it's fairly easy on this one. And the only bad thing with that is if you have to download, it won't be automatic. So sometimes whenever you're trying to get things to work, you have to do some stuff in terminal. You know, so you have to use the command prompt a little bit. It's not a lot, okay, at least in the setting this one up and doing everything that I tried to do with it. There was not a whole lot of terminal play in there. There was a little. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be completely honest. There was a little. So if, you know, typing out commands and stuff like that isn't your thing, there are a lot of tutorials out there on how to do just about anything on Linux, and there's a huge community of people that, that do stuff like this all the time. So nine times out of 10, if you're trying to do something, especially if it's something fairly straightforward, you know, there's probably a thread out there on Reddit or something like that dealing with what you're trying to do already. So all you really have to do is cut and paste. They already have a lot of the commands already typed out. You just cut and paste, hit enter a couple of times, it runs and you're good to go. Now, of course, it, it does help that if you actually type them out, it do, you do learn the commands a little bit better. And once you kind of get going with that, you get a little bit more comfortable with it. Now, granted, it took me a while to get used to the Raspberry Pi terminal and doing stuff in there. I'm kind of getting still, I'm, I'm very much still learning in that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I am definitely not a guy that does a whole lot of command line or terminal, but I am getting a little bit more comfortable with it and it just takes time. It's, it's like anything else. You know, you learn to ride a bike, you don't ride it first day. You, you know, it takes a while. You got to get used to it and different things like that. So this is the exact same way. You just, you just got to kind of use your training wheels and, you know, look on the internet and find the commands that you need to use. And then that way you can learn them going forward. So using terminal is a little bit of a bear, like I say, especially if you're first just getting started. But it does get easier as you go. There's a lot of stuff on Mint, especially that they automate for you. So you really don't have to do a whole lot of it. And that definitely helps out a lot. Now, as far as sharing files between, say, a Linux machine and a Windows machine, there's a little bit of a issue with that also it took i had to watch several tutorial videos on youtube to be able to figure out how to do it but at least the ones that i found were really good and you know i was able to get it done in probably about 45 minutes once it was set up once i'm good i don't have to do it again and now i'm able to share files between my mint linux machine and my regular desktop so i'm good with that now as far as aesthetics goes I'm not really a fan of the black and green color scheme that Mint comes with out of the box, but you can change it to blue or yellow or whatever, red, whatever color you really want. You can change your backgrounds and everything else, just like you can in Windows. Make it your own. 
so you can you can change all of that a lot of that stuff is is resettable you know you can change pretty much just about anything you want a lot of the icons you can change that you can download different icon packs if you really wanted to to change the icons to make it look the way you want it to look so and then using it to be honest is there is a learning curve okay if you're going from something you've dealt with for 10 15 years you know it's it is a learning curve to jump from windows to linux i'll i will be the first to admit that and i'm still learning a lot as we go but it's not that much of a stretch it really is not probably the best way i could describe it is going from an iphone to an android phone or from an android to an iphone you know a lot of things are very similar but the way you have to go about doing them is a lot different and the the user experience is a lot different so that's kind of how i'm I'm, i I can equate this the easiest way that people would probably understand it is you know like i said it's if you're going from one ecosystem to the other on your phone on your desktop or your laptop is going to be the same way it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve they're going to be some stuff in places where it's like why the hell is it here you know, so it kind of doesn't make sense. But once you learn it, you know, it's not nearly as bad. So that's kind of kind of one of the things that I wanted to get across also with this. So overall thoughts with a lot of the personal info and stuff like that that are coming with Windows 11 that I'm very much against them having as much personal info as they do or will is if I upgrade Is it worth it to really switch over to something like Linux? You know, if you're leery about all of that kind of stuff or, you know, you don't have the hardware to be able to update to Windows 11, which is another complete issue that I really hadn't talked about yet, but you have to have a certain hardware level to be able to even run Windows 11. And if you don't, you can't upgrade. The only way to upgrade is to buy a new computer or a new laptop. And that, that to me was just kind of disgusting. But I understand why the why Microsoft did it. Granted, I you know I, I understand that part, but I'm I'm not a very, I'm not a fan of it at all. You know, if you wanted to be able to use older hardware, you should be able to use older hardware. That's just that's just my personal opinion. So would it be worth it to switch to Linux in a case like that where you can't really do anything else? You're gonna lose lose out on updates and stuff like that in 2025 whenever they cease all of the security updates and everything for and support for Windows 10? It's possible. I mean, that's still three years out. So, you know, is the hardware you're running right now going to last another three years? It might last three years on Windows 10. You never know. But I'm, I'm pretty sure, I mean, if treated correctly, just about any system will last another three years. But in the end, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it to me to either keep going with Windows 10 without any kind of updates or security patch fixes or anything like that or move to something different? And that's all going to be, you know, dealer's choice, to be honest. It's going to be up to you. Now, you know, like I said, right now I'm kind of daily driving this just for fun. But in the grand scheme of things, is this something that I may switch to completely after, you know, when, when that time comes? I might. 
I'm still kind of on the fence with it right now, but I'm I'm leaning kind of towards it. Now, granted, there is an initial shock moving over from Windows to Linux because it's so different. But my Mint desktop did work very well. I got used to it really quickly. And like I said earlier, it's kind of like going from an iPhone to an Android. I mean, it's once you get used to a new something new, then it becomes a lot easier. And after that shock wore off, it was very usable. I had no issues with it. I didn't really think of it as, oh, this is a different Linux-based thing. Is like, okay, you know, just get on it and do like I normally do. And it was just kind of, it took a couple of weeks for, you know, of daily driving this to get to that point. But it wasn't bad. It was, a, like I say, it was, it's a learning curve. It is a daily thing that you kind of have to run through and, you know, once you're using it and you get used to it, it's not bad at all. And I mean, doing the da- your normal things like you do, you know, you surf your web, surf the web, check Facebook, social media, check your email, you know, all of that stuff is really straightforward. And if you do the vast majority of that on your computer without doing a whole bunch else, you can probably switch right now and really not lose anything. Once you get you know, through that little weird factor where you got to get comfortable with the way everything looks and works. You can run with that without a problem. I would almost guarantee it. But if you deal with a lot of documents, like if you use Office a lot, then it may be a little bit different because the embedded suite that they use on their LibreOffice, it it works. They It does a lot. There's a lot of features on there but it does not do every single thing that office does. So if you're bringing office documents home or you know you're doing stuff from home, you may be able to do it in Libre that you might not be able to do on office or you might be able to do it on office that you can't on Libre. So it's going to be a little bit different. like if you're doing basics and things like that, yeah, you'd be able to do that without without very much of a problem. If you're getting into the more complex stuff, especially Excel spreadsheets and different things like that, then maybe you will probably see some features that you would normally use in Office that you don't have on Libre. So it's stuff like that. But it's for the the basic thing, like if you're just kicking out a couple of reports or, you know, a couple of papers or something like that, it's more than adequate and you'll be able to use it without any problem. You can save it as an office file. So if you have to send it to somebody, you can save it in that, that docx for, file format. So any version of office can open it. So in that sense, it's really easy to move over. Now, granted, Linux does have a lot of tools and apps to do just about anything that you want to do. Mint, a lot of those are free. And but the only bad thing is, depending on what you're trying to do, it may take a little bit of searching on the internet. It may take some weird searches in Software Manager to find out what you want to do and the app to use it because a lot of these are going to be open source copies or open source versions of the programs you're trying to look for. So all of the, the different bells and whistles that you might look for might not be there because it's an open source version. So just kind of that stuff you kind of want to take into account. But for the most part, you really won't have any issues trying to find apps to take the place of the ones that you normally would use on Windows. Now, for the most part, this was a fairly easy move for me. I didn't really 
move all of my files over and, you know, move all of this stuff. But this was just a kind of a daily test drive for me just to see if I would be able to actually use it on a daily basis. And for the most part, I'd say yes. It was really easy to move over. I really enjoyed using it. I'm probably still going to use it for, you know, some things here and there. I'm not going to be like totally crazy with it. But, you know, there are some things that you can do in Linux you can't do on Windows. But if there it comes to a point, and I didn't talk about this earlier, but if you have to absolutely have to run something that can't run on Linux and it's a Windows program, you can run it on Linux. You just have to have what they call Wine. And Wine is basically kind of a shell program that will let you run Windows programs within Linux. So you can do stuff like that. It's, like I said, this is kind of one of those learning curve things where you have to get things going with weird names to be able to figure out how to use it. So it's, you know, there's things like Wine and Samba and you know, a few other things that you normally, you probably never heard of, but if you're in Linux, that's the very basic stuff to do. You know, Samba is doing stuff, you know, file sharing within Windows. Wine is running Windows programs within Linux. One of the main takeaways that I found while working with Linux and, you know, over the last couple of weeks, there's always a way. There's always somebody that tried to do something similar to what you're doing. So no matter what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish, what your end goal is, there's always a way. And it may take a little bit of searching. It may take a lot of searching, depending on what you're trying to do. But for the most part, you can do just about anything that you really want to with Linux. It's just going to be a little bit different than Windows. And from there, we'll come full circle. And my question that I asked at the top of the the podcast. Could you go from Windows to something entirely different and be viable? In this case, going to Mint Linux, I would say it is absolutely viable. It is actually probably a little more than viable. It's, it was fairly easy to do as far as daily drivers go. The only question now is, could you take the plunge? Thank you all for sticking with me till the end of the podcast. If, like I said, if you want to look up any of this kind of stuff and check out that article, not to mention the screenshots of Mint Linux, you can. It's on the show prep for today's episode. So don't forget to hit up the website, downsouthitpodcast.com. Check it out. It's right under the embedded player. Just click the link that says show prep. Look for episode 805 and you will find it right there. That way you can check all of that out for yourself. And just like I like to end every podcast, a paraphrase from Albert Hubbard, technology can replace the work of many people, but it can never replace the work of one extraordinary person. So go ahead and be extraordinary today. Thank you all for listening. I love you. I'll see you right back here on the next episode of the Down South IT Podcast. Later. Later.